0: Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argivon Neil fourouge a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. Donna Kay is a board-certified holistic health practitioner, two-time best-selling author, and the founder of ADHD Thrive Institute and the ADHD Thrive Method for Kids program. Donna's mission is to help as many families as possible reduce ADHD symptoms naturally so that children with ADHD can thrive at home, at school, and in life. Welcome Donna. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here too.
0: And this is something that I know we're going to dive deep into about an insightful conversation. It's a topic that we know impacts so many families. I have families that I work with, so I'm excited to hear everything that you're going to say.
1: No, I'm excited to share as well, because it's it's actually one of the most common mental disorders affecting children in the USA today. So I just am so passionate about talking about it as much as possible.
0: (laughs) And given your passion and commitment and dedication to working with families with ADHD, I'd love if you could share how it all started your personal professional journey that led you to where you are today.
1: Yeah, definitely. Believe it or not, uh, I actually used to be completely removed from the, the health and wellness space. Um, I was actually an accountant. Yeah. Uh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, and honestly, had, had planned to continue in that field and, and might have done so if my son's, uh, if the concerns over my son's health hadn't grown as much as they did. Uh, he he was always a, a boisterous boy, uh, but I, I had this deep inkling that there was something a little bit different about him Mm -hmm. and he, he had so much energy. He used to bounce off the walls, uh, so much more than, than other kids, uh, his age. And, and my gut told me that there was something else going on and he would have these meltdowns and tantrums pretty much every single day of the week. And, as a, as a two-year-old, you kind of expect that, but as he got to three and then four, they actually became more and more dramatic and his energy just got more and more. And uh, eventually his tantrums became so severe that his teachers started noticing the difference too and we we went to a developmental uh, pediatrician uh you know, psychiatrist uh, and he was diagnosed with ADHD and he was immediately put on medication. Honestly between you and me at, at first I I remember feeling this sense of relief with the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't a bad mum mm-hmm. you know this this wasn't my fault and, and that medication that pill was going to be the the pill that would would fix our family. And at first, look, things, things were great. Don't get me wrong. Um, he was, his energy sort of calmed down a little bit. He was able to play with his baby brother without whacking him across mm-hmm. the face. Uh, but, you know, then, uh, then, then his dosage increased and the side effects started to come out. Uh, he was losing weight. He wasn't able to sleep. He started to develop anxiety. And so uh, the doctor prescribed a second medication to counteract the side effects of the first. And this continued until my son, who was now five, was on three very strong ADHD medications. And when the doctor suggested a fourth medication to counteract some new side effects that, that had popped up, I just couldn't do it anymore. And that's when my career path completely changed. I went back to school. I did my holistic health degree, multiple sort of specific certifications in this particular area. And I learned that ADHD symptoms can be reduced naturally. I learned that medication was, was not the only way. And Today my son is 14. Uh, he hasn't been on meds for years. He is a straight A student, but that for me is not the the most important thing. The most important thing is he's happy and mm-hmm. and my family's happy and and now we've just got that that normal peace and calm in our house that I'd always thought was going to be the case when I had children. And once I, I learned about the importance of food and these other natural strategies on behavior and the brain Uh, and once I saw how how these changes happened on my in my own family I really couldn't keep this information to myself you know I really didn't want anyone else to sort of go through the struggles my family went through Uh, and over the years I've I've been lucky enough to work with over a thousand other families now help help them get to the same place as me but just a little bit quicker (laughs) Mm
0: And this is exactly why I love working with children. I've always been so passionate about working in pediatrics because I always say adults are advocates for children. And Mm -hmm. it is so hard when a child doesn't feel good in their mind and body and when adults feel frustrated because they can't support them in the best way possible. Because we've seen when kids feel good, they are brilliant, they're happy, they're playful, they're intelligent, they're curious, and they're just like parents will describe them a perfect kid
1: but when mm-hmm. kids are
0: struggling it is so hard it's so challenging and it really impacts families day to day so and this is a topic that ha- has come up over and over and over again with so many
1: children so it's, it's so true and and we we uh, when they feel good the whole family yeah the whole family's in balance and and everyone feels good and you know they they, uh, they are our future
0: Yes. And what I appreciate about your work is you've talked about this low, slow approach. And Mm -hmm. we know with ADHD, it's multimodal. So it's not just one area of, say, nutrition, although that Mm -hmm. is quite impactful, but we have to look at so many different things. Can you highlight some of those key experiences that really have shaped your understanding of ADHD in kids?
1: I'm going to sort of go to uh, a bit of an analogy yes. uh, when I when it, I explain how we help our children with ADHD. You know, there's a there's a lot of evidence out there that uh, it can be genetically predisposed. However, it doesn't mean that that's your destiny and that these symptoms can't be reduced or, or removed altogether in some cases. So, you know, when I when I think about contributors uh, to ADHD Uh, and based on my experience, I I like to explain it with this, this funny analogy, And I I feel like we're all born with this sort of internal metaphorical trash can in our Mm -hmm. bodies. Uh, And and the goal through life is to sort of keep that trash can as empty as possible. So we wanna keep the toxic load in our body low. However, we're not all born with an empty trash can. So for example, my son's trash can uh, actually already had stuff in it when he was born because he was induced with medication because he wasn't growing. He came out and he was given medication straight away and he was put on a CPAP Machine and he wasn't breastfed because he was in the NICU for a few weeks. And so that trash can kept on filling up over time, as it can for all of us. So there are many substances that contribute to that trash can. So inflammatory substances like diet, you know, that was one of the things that is super important. Toxins pesticides medication they all contributed to an overflowing uh, trash can now our body is designed to work to keep emptying that trash can and keep that toxic load light but we're all born with different genetics and some of us can easily empty our trash cans when they get full, meaning they can, you know, take the trash can out to the curb on a, on a Monday afternoon so the garbage truck can pick it up on that Tuesday morning. So it means that the detoxification pathways in our bodies are working well. But for some of us, uh, they can't empty their trash cans because their detoxification pathways are not working properly, just like my sons. So what happens when our trash can gets too full of these inflammatory substances and we can't detox properly, that trash can overflows into our body, allowing that inflammation to spread and that is why symptoms begin to show. And that's what's happening with, well, that was what was happening with, with my son with ADHD. That's what's happening with a lot of the kids that I work with. Their trash can is full, it's overflowing, and their body is filled with inflammation that we need to reduce. And interestingly, the World Health Organization ranks chronic inflammatory diseases As the greatest threat to human health and uh which is which is quite shocking um so uh what we need to do is we need to reduce the load on that trash can and we do that with a number of different strategies and and the foundation of that is diet. Uh, You know, again, I like to use this analogy of building a house. If if we don't have that solid foundation when we're building a house, that house isn't going to be very strong. And uh, it's the same way with our body. If we don't have that solid foundation of diet, our body is not going to be very strong. So we have to start with diet. I know that was a very long way (laughs) of partly answering your questions and leading on to the next section. But does, does that make sense to you? It does.
0: And I love the way that you framed it. And especially with kids, as we know, I always say kids are not little adults. They're growing and developing at such a mm-hmm. rapid rate that mm-hmm. it really takes a more intimate, more And it is sustainable because, as you said, we want them to be happy, healthy adults. And we don't want that inflammation, those chronic conditions to linger because they will lead to all kinds of health issues that, as you know, we are seeing in the adult population
1: hundred percent. And and a a majority of those are driven by inflammation Mm -hmm. and inflammation can come with so many different symptoms that uh, align with all of those different disorders. It can come with gut issues. It can come with brain issues. It can come with mood issues. It can come with skin issues. So many different things all relate to that overflowing trash can.
0: And what do you say to families who feel, you know, the term ADHD now is everywhere. And most people have mm-hmm. heard the term that they feel it's being either overdiagnosed or people are not using it really quite correctly.
1: I I agree. It's being overdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. I, I 100% believe that ADHD is real. That's not what I'm saying. However, I do a lot of genetics uh, with the families that I work with, and one of the genetic reports that I look at is do we have the underlying genetic uh, genes that um, uh, predispose us to ADHD symptoms? And I'm seeing that less than 3% of the kids that I'm working with actually have the genes that predispose them to ADHD tendencies. So a lot of these kids are actually being overdiagnosed a lot of these kids are probably suffering from chronic inflammation their trash can is full and the symptoms they fall under the umbrella of ADHD you know being unable to sit still that hyperactivity those meltdowns you know kids have meltdowns but it is not normal for a child to melt down every single day or it's not normal for that meltdown to last for hours and hours That's a warning sign from the body that something else is going on. And that's like a cry for help saying, mom, dad, please, you know, I need help. Um, You know, it might be common to have a meltdown, just like uh, I I like to say, just like constipation. Mm -hmm. That might be very, very, uh, that might be very, very common, but it's definitely not normal.
0: Yes. And those are all the things that I always ask families and they say, well, why are you asking me more about diet? And we talk about screen use. We talk about Mm -hmm. sleep. You mentioned constipation. What are your bowel movements like? So many kids are not having a regular bowel movement and parents report, well, that's how they've always been. But again, because it's common doesn't mean that it's normal. So there are so many different things
1: we need to look at. Oh, 1000%. And so, you know, diet might be that foundation, but there are other strategies that we can bring in that we should be bringing in uh, to help our child thrive. And, you know, one of those is looking at that gut brain connection. And I'm not sure if you've talked about that on the on the podcast before. I'd love if you would share yours. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And I I like to actually start off with some statistics around the gut brain connection. uh, And it really ties back to that overflowing uh, trash can. But it's it's estimated that about 54% of American children have actually been diagnosed with a chronic illness. In 2018, this study was done. Um, And that figure was actually only 15% a couple of years before that. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at that increase it just floors me it's it's shocking you know one in 2 of our kids have anxiety asthma type 1 type 2 diabetes epilepsy cystic fibrosis heart problems learning disabilities hyperactivity you know one in 5 have allergies one in 6 have developmental delays and one in 32 have autism and you sort of think to yourself well, why is this rise occurring so rapidly and in my opinion, the answer simple. It all begins in the gut. of the body's entire immune system is within the gut wall, along with billions of nerve cells and extensive amount of beneficial gut bacteria. So all of our children's health is quite literally connected to everything that occurs in the gut. And so when I work with a family, you know, we do an assessment, obviously, when they start. And, you know, I ask, is there any family history of sickness? Um, And a lot of the time they say, oh, no, they're fit and healthy. But when I press forward, I ask whether that child, has been on antibiotics uh, or suffered from any diarrhea or constipation and they often tell me they have and as I just mentioned they're really surprised to learn that it's actually not healthy or normal it's very common but it's actually a byproduct of an unhealthy gut and so then I actually go forward and say well how many antibiotics has that child been on and a lot of the families that I work with have been on you know multiple rounds of antibiotics I actually wish I I had kept a tally of how many kids <laughs> I'd actually spoken to uh, how many families I'd actually spoken to that had been on antibiotics out of all the families I've I've worked with but what happens with antibiotics is most work by killing bacteria and preventing it from growing unfortunately most antibiotics can't distinguish between that good and that bad bacteria and so that means they can wreak havoc on the gut's healthy bacteria. uh, Many people actually suffer lasting changes to their gut flora as a result of taking antibiotics. So if we think about this, a large percentage of these children have been on multiple rounds of antibiotics. That is in turn compromising the gut. And when the gut is compromised, it's not a huge surprise to see that these disorders and illnesses are on the rise because 80% of of the entire immune system is within the lining of the gut. So Now I just want to tie it to to, to brain health. Uh, You know, what what the gut-brain connection means is that, in essence, our brains are deeply connected to our guts. And if our guts aren't functioning well, our brains won't be able to function well either. And 95% of the body's serotonin and 50% of the body's dopamine is produced in the gut. And these are our neurotransmitters or our hormones that help us manage our emotions they balance our mood and they help our cognitive function. And emotional dysregulation is a common symptom of ADHD, but many parents don't realize that this emotional dysregulation actually starts in the gut where serotonin and dopamine are made. And so the problem then is you know, not the emotions themselves, but the fact that the correct amounts of these vital neurotransmitters are not being made in the first place. So by working on improving gut health, many parents of kids with ADHD find that the emotional dysregulation problem solves themselves. But the biggest connection with ADHD, I think, is, you know, the brain has many areas involved in gut function, but the main one is that frontal lobe. And obviously this is an audio podcast. Uh, What I'm doing right now is I'm (laughs) actually pointing to the centre of my forehead, that that area in the brain uh, that is responsible for things like attention and focus and executive function, and planning, and organizing, and problem solving. Do any of these areas sound like ones that are affected by ADHD? All of them, yes. All of them. And so listeners, if if they're familiar with common ADHD symptoms, they should definitely sound like that because children with ADHD often struggle with all of those tasks. Because the frontal lobe is in the brain, many people are under the impression it's the brain that needs care. When in reality, it's also the gut that's causing the problems. And I, I like it. I like analogies, uh, as you can probably tell already. I love them too. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, I think that I like to think of it this way. Have you ever felt butterflies in your stomach because yes. you're nervous about something? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe it was a a first aid or a test or a conflict. These are the perfect examples of the gut brain connection. Our bodies perceive whatever we're nervous about as a stressful situation, and then our brains are triggering those raw emotions in the gut, resulting in those butterfly feelings or nausea or stomach pains. And that's the brain talking to the gut. But the reverse is also true. You know, our guts talk to our brains as well and so when uh, you know the gut is broken down uh, or has a higher level of of that gut back bad gut bacteria and you know that's going to travel through that 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 connection between the two and it's going to create symptoms in the brain like all the ones i mentioned
0: yeah and this is that Knowledge is power piece that also brings compassion because when families say, oh, so-and-so is being difficult and I can't handle it, and then there's all kinds of repercussions for that behavior, but when you explain it in terms of, well, the behavior is happening because things are going on inside of the mind and body, then that's where the support can really happen.
1: A hundred percent, and it just changes, um, as parents, it changes our perspective on that behavior, doesn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, and with that, Donna, what are some common misconceptions about ADHD? Because there's so much stuff now we know is online, right? It's mm-hmm. information overwhelmed for families. What are some common misconceptions that you want to address here?
1: Well, I think one of the main misconceptions is that um, medication is the only way to mm-hmm. to help kids with ADHD. And you know, that, that for me is the biggest one. Uh, when children are diagnosed with ADHD, the first course of treatment that most doctors suggest is medication. And many of them don't even tell parents that, you know, altering the diet, helping that gut-brain connection can significantly reduce ADHD symptoms. And that's exactly what happened with my son when he was diagnosed. Our doctor didn't mention any other course of treatment. And the only one he told us about was medication and unfortunately for us the medication it did more harm than good and with each new medication our doctor suggested my son had a new side effect and then another medication to counteract that side effect and so You know, when I started learning about the effects of diet, the effects of gut health on ADHD symptoms and how we heal the gut, ADHD symptoms can be reduced or, you know, removed completely. I actually went to my pediatrician and I said, can we do a gut test? Can we look at food sensitivities? Can we change the diet? And you know what he said to me? Mm -hmm. Don't bother. None of that works. Yes, I've heard that before. Mm -hmm. and you know I can now let's just say I don't have the same pediatrician anymore (laughs) (laughs) um uh, because I can definitely show him that uh It definitely works, Um, uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, I'm not against medication, but it shouldn't be the first course of action, not when food and these other natural strategies that we're talking about can sometimes be even more effective with no side effects to worry about. So if parents, you know, want to reduce ADHD symptoms in their children, they need to do something much more than just give a pill. Uh, And even supplements, you know, supplements are not going to be the be-all and end-all for ADHD, you know, improvement either. Supplements can be super effective, so can medication, but if our kids continue to load all of those toxic Products into their trash can, and they're not able to empty that trash can to the side of the road every Monday, then the symptoms are not going to go away because the foods we're eating, the other things we're putting in the trash can are exacerbating the symptoms. And I actually believe in a food first approach. You know, that means to me that rather than trying to find a magic pill that's going to fix a child, we clean up their diet instead. And in doing this, we actually start to reduce that inflammation. We actually start to reduce that toxic load, that load on the trash can, and then symptoms start to reduce because we're actually getting to the bottom of what's causing these symptoms in the first place.
0: Yes. And Donna, let's talk about those specific evidence-based interventions or strategies that you work with
1: yeah look i i'm a very science-based uh uh person um and i have run into many non-believers in my time i can tell you that my husband used to be one of them uh sorry ben for throwing <laughs> <one of us. laughs> um, you know it was the science that first made me rethink the direction we were traveling with my son oliver and I actually like to go forward with those scientific studies to to show uh, families that this is not just, you know, something I thought up or thought might work. Uh, you know, there was a study done in 2015 that concluded that 64% of children diagnosed with ADHD were actually experiencing a hypersensitivity to food, 64%. Wow. You know, I, I wonder what might happen if these children change their diet and remove the foods that they were sensitive to. You know, is it possible that these ADHD symptoms would disappear or at least become more more manageable? Uh, there was a there was another study that showed that fifty six percent of ADHD kids tested positive for food allergies, mm. compared to less than eight. percent percent of kids in the general population. You know, that's a big difference between kids with ADHD and and, and kids in the general population. And that tells me there is a clear correlation between ADHD and food allergies. Uh, There was one more study. I could be here all day, but I'm just going to share one more study. Uh, In 2017, a, a study concluded that the addition of micronutrients in the diet improved overall function, Reduced impairments uh, and improved attention, emotional regulation, and aggression. So you know clearly, medication is not the only way to help children with ADHD. But I think I, I think I want to sort of go into give give some takeaways for for the listeners because I can share all these studies, but they're like, well, what do I do next? <laughs> I mean. For me, uh, I believe and, you know, have seen it time and time again, uh, we want to remove the highly inflammatory substances because they can lead to a immune response in the body. They can lead to something called leaky gut, uh, which is, you know, a breakdown in the lining of the gut. I'm not going to go into leaky gut right now, as that's probably a whole topic for another day. But you know, the the main three that I have found in all the families that I've worked with uh, are gluten, dairy and soy. Um, I'm going to, I think I'll just tackle gluten. Please do, uh, yeah. Yeah, to, to start with because that's the number one food that I recommend all all children with ADHD cut out of their diet because it's so inflammatory. It's actually inflammatory for everyone even those without adhd or a known gluten intolerance you know plain and simple gluten is harmful for everyone that's because gluten triggers you know increased intestinal permeability in everyone that's which is you know like leaky gut so basically it's the breakdown of of the intestinal walls now we've talked a little bit about the gut brain connection so i'm not going to sort of dive deep into that but um Gluten leads to that leaky gut, which leads to inflammation going into the bloodstream, which leads to those additional symptoms like what we've talked about, but also other symptoms, stomach aches, constipation, reflux, runny noses, anger issues, wheezing. Uh, And so, uh, you know, we find that when we can remove the foods that are contributing to that inflammation, that are contributing to that leaky gut, which are contributing to that gut breakdown, that gut-brain connection breakdown, you know, symptoms actually start to reduce. But gluten, one of the biggest things for me is it binds to opioid receptors in the brain. Now, opioid, it sounds like, you know, heroin, morphine, that sort of thing, because gluten actually binds to the same receptors as morphine. And it can lead to something called uh, a glutamorphine response. And when you have a gluten morphine response in the body, and it doesn't happen to everyone, uh, we do a lot of a lot of testing in our in our business, and one of those tests is something called a wheat zoomer, Z O O M E R. Uh, I've got to uh, sorry, you say Z O O M E R. <laughs> I've got to spell it out because of my accent; it doesn't sound like how. It, how well, I grew it up stuff. in Canada,
0: so I also say oh, Z or Z. Uh,
1: <laughs> okay, good, good, good. It was funny. Uh, up until recently, I didn't know. I live in America. I live in yeah. Seattle, Washington, but um, I've been here for almost 10 years. And only up until like a couple of months ago, I didn't know that Americans didn't say Z. And so uh, I've been saying Z-O-O-M-E-R and an American pointed out to me, like, what's Zed? And I'm like, Oh, what? So I've been, I've been spelling it out, and everyone's probably still going, "What's she saying?"
0: <laughs> and I knew exactly what you meant without I'm even
1: planting. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, we're actually testing to see if that glutamorphin antibody is actually present in the body. And a lot of the time, I, I don't have the exact percentage, but I would say a good seventy to eighty percent of these kids that we're testing have this glutamorphin antibody. And when you've got this antibody, it leads to depression, it leads to mood dis- dysregulation, it leads leads to you know brain problems. But what it also leads to is if you go on a gluten free diet, you're more likely to have a glutamorphin withdrawal response, which is kind of like uh, a withdrawal from morphine. You know, you think about what happens when you withdraw from morphine. It's the same when you stop eating gluten, but you've just got to press forward uh, and get over that hump. And then, you know, the changes can be quite dramatic in in your child. And so a lot of families, they might start a gluten-free diet and they say symptoms are getting worse. And I'm like, just bear with it. Just bear with it. Push through, push through because they're they're suffering from that glutamorphin withdrawal response.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about families who say they've taken everything out, but they still have not seen improvement?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a common one. Um, there's two answers to that question. And uh, I will say either you're not doing it correctly and gluten is getting in somewhere. I've had families that have come to me after being gluten dairy free for three years. And then we do this wheat zoomer, like what I just said, and we see so much reactivity, which shows me they're getting gluten from somewhere because that wheat zoomer, if you're gluten free, should be Thank okay. you. Negative, completely void of any reaction, uh, but we've seen you know lit up like a, a Christmas tree with red lights, and so um, you know we actually really delve deep and go, well, where else could that that gluten be coming in? And that's one of the biggest things that we do in our program is to help those families make sure that they are hundred percent gluten free, so they can see the right response. Now, for the families that are doing it and doing it a hundred percent. If they don't see that response, we need to look deeper down into the body to see what else is contributing to that inflammation? And we do that with functional lab testing. And so functional lab testing really is kind of like a window into your child's body to see what is uh, exacerbating those symptoms, what's contributing to those symptoms. You know, we look at the state of the gut, so we do a stool test uh, to see if there are, is there any bacterial overgrowth Are there any parasites? Is there yeast uh, overgrowth? I know that sounds disgusting, (laughs) but, um, uh, you know, it's so important. Yeah, it's so important. Um, We also look at food sensitivity testing uh, to see what foods are contributing to those inflammatory reactions in the body. The important thing to remember is food sensitivities. They're not true allergies, but they do cause inflammation. So once you heal the gut, you can actually add them back in. Uh, And we also do another test called an organic acid test, which is uh, oats for short. Uh, And it's an awesome test because it looks at over 70 different important markers in the whole body and how it's functioning. So it can show you the need for specific nutrients like B vitamins, which are really important for our compromised kids. Uh, It looks at your detoxification pathways. It looks at your neurotransmitters like your serotonin and your Uh, your dopamine it looks for other things that could be contributing to inflammation like yeast mold all of those things and then the final test as we do as a sort of a base overview there's many more but i find that these four are sort of that good base is something called a cryptopyrrole test now, uh, um, a lot of families, you know, haven't heard of that, and a lot of traditional doctors haven't heard of that either. Uh, but in the functional world, basically, pyrroles are a normal chemical byproduct in the body, and they attach to vitamin B six and zinc, and they draw these elements out of the body when they're excreted through the urine. So, if someone has elevated urine cryptopyral levels in the urine it can result in a dramatic deficiency of zinc and b6 which are super critical for for any of us but um, it's frequently identified in behavioral disorders adhd depression aggression um, it, it includes symptoms like poor tolerance to physical or emotional stress poor anger control mood swings Poor short-term memory, tactile sensitivities, light and sound sensitivities, which again are a lot of symptoms that our kids with ADHD are suffering with. So we really like to look at what else is contributing to that load on the body, uh, and then approach uh, approach the you know the the plan with with that knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm. And going back to that diet component, Donna. So as a mm-hmm. dietitian, I work with a lot of children. And so picky eating that comes up all the mm-hmm. time. And like a lot of these kids, and I'm not talking about the toddlers, because there's some age appropriateness pattern that happens with toddlers, but these are older kids that continue to be air quote, picky eaters and yes. have ADHD. And so for families that are worried about if they have to take out all the foods that their kids really only selectively eat, what would you say to those families?
1: I would say so. I would say that uh, probably about seventy percent of the families that we work with have a picky eater, mm-hmm. and so uh, firstly, don't don't just uh, say no. I can't make these changes because I have a picky eater. I have one family I I always like to use as the example. Her son was on four medications when, when she started working with me and he only ate five foods. He had been through a year of feeding therapy and play therapy and still wasn't eating any better. But when she came into our program, we started reducing inflammation in the body um, and we helped her with specific strategies to overcome the picky eating, um, he started to thrive. He now eats over 200 different foods and he's definitely not classified as a picky eater before. But um, there are a number of different strategies you can implement with picky eating. The first thing I would say is let's make sure that they're not deficient in zinc. And the reason I say that is actually zinc can can change the way that taste buds actually taste the food and the food can actually taste disgusting. So picky eating might have started from zinc deficiency. However, once there's that zinc deficiency, that picky eating sort of sets in and it becomes a really really bad habit and vicious cycle. So you need to actually break the cycle. Uh, And we use a multiple of different strategies. One of the things that I say with families, if they come into the program, we start really with basic strategies. And I like to do something called the family food challenge because we just actually want them to start eating more foods first. We don't want to focus on taking everything away. We actually want them to eat more foods. And so uh, we sit down as a family and we, uh, we say that, you know, the doctors have said we all need to start eating more of a variety of food. Don't call out the child because we don't want the child to feel like, you know, we're all doing this just because of them. Uh, and we say, so we're going to do a family food challenge and it's really exciting. We're going to work together as a family and we're going to try different foods. And every time we try different food, we're going to, you know, get a point on the chart. And then when we get to a certain number of points, we're going to do a family activity, a fun family activity together. And as the family, agree on what that will be every family does rewards and things like that differently and so it might be that you all go to the movies together or you have a family game night or you go to the park on a Sunday whatever it may be everyone needs to agree as a family but what we do is mum or dad will pick the food to start with because we obviously want uh to get the ball rolling yes but we want to pick something we know that the child is going to actually like so they can get those you know that 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 positive reinforcement as they're going along and we pick that food as closest as it is to its natural thing you say it is like a blueberry for example and everyone gets that blueberry on their plate before anything else hits the table for dinner time and everyone looks at it they touch it to their lips they smell it uh, they taste it you discuss the the flavor the texture all of that sort of thing And then we get a point on the chart. Uh, And we do that same food every day for seven days. Now, you're probably asking, well, why seven days? Yes. It can take 15 to 20 times for a kid to accept a new Flavor and new texture, and so if we just do it once and they say no, I don't like it, and then we give up, we're actually feeding into that vicious cycle again. Uh, so I like to sort of do seven days because if we did fifteen to twenty days, we'd be doing this, we, we we would be doing the same food for a very long time. And then the next week, the child picks the food. You know, you can print out these uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, colors of the rainbow, and they can choose from that. What's that food? And then you will do that food every day before dinner for seven days. You know, what do they say? It takes 21 days to create a new yes. habit. After 21 days, you are now the family that tries new foods. It becomes part of your normal life every single day. That's what you do. That is what you do. And it's stopping this, you know, and um, stopping this tug of war between you and your child, this this argument on a daily basis of getting them to try new foods. This is a family activity you're now the family that tries new food. So that's one of the really basic strategies that we start with. There are some more complicated strategies that once we're a little bit more comfortable with trying new foods that we delve into. But again, I could I could probably have a whole podcast episode on this. Um, but all I will say is, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yes. Uh, you don't need to make all of these changes at once. Uh, and, um, you know, we want to take small, slow steps to get us moving in the right direction. It only takes one step to keep moving in that right direction.
0: And I absolutely love the family approach because it takes the pressure off the child. And I'm sure there's yes. been enough pressure on them as it is. And also the role modeling piece, right? We know with kids, they look to their yes. adults as their role model. And there's still so much influence that can happen even when the child is a teenager, maybe a little bit less, but still very much impactful. So it brings everybody in. And eating is something that we do anyway. So again, that pleasure of eating piece, which I know sometimes can go missed when we're focused so much on a diagnosis or a condition or a problem to solve.
1: Yes, definitely. And look- Our children, they're not a problem to solve. Yes. And we do get caught up in that. And so let's just bring in some basic strategies that we can help our child be the best version of themselves. You know, a pill is not going to fix your child. And, uh, you know, there is absolutely no... um, uh, you know, no judgment from me whatsoever. I've been there. You know, my my son was five, and he was on three strong medications, and the doctor we wanted him on a fourth, and so I get the need to to get off that emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I'm here to say that your child can thrive with ADHD. They, you can have peace in your house. Um, you don't need to be on that emotional roller coaster. And there are people out there and strategies out there that can help.
0: Absolutely. And given that kids spend the majority of their time at school, so that's something I've been at school, I've volunteered and I was able to see, um, how can schools and communities, create a more of a inclusive and I'll say supportive because inclusive can sometimes mean different things to different people, but supportive environment for children with ADHD.
1: Yeah. Look, I think, I think it's really important to uh, advocate for our children. Mm-hmm. Um, we really want to uh, um talk to our teacher our school counselor and and other staff necessarily uh necessary you know at the beginning of the school year see what accommodations are available um you know many many teachers are willing to work with parents even if there's not an official diagnosis or even if there's not an official plan in place uh the the plans in place at school are things like 504 plans or iep plans so you know a lot of families sort of get scared to talk to the teacher and i just say don't be scared. You know, don't be afraid to talk to the teacher. Let them know what your child needs and work with them to create a plan that will best help your child succeed. There are so many strategies uh, that the school can, you know, bring in to really help that child. Uh, the The other thing which, you know, really makes me angry is there are some schools out there that actually use recess as a punishment yeah which is not good at all for kids with ADHD and so if that is the case at your school like I would say go in and advocate big time this is not how uh, we can help children with ADHD thrive. And it's all about education, isn't it? And yes. so um, really educating the school, sharing different strategies, sharing different information. There are so many uh, teachers out there that are actually willing to learn. Yes. Uh, when, I, when I do sort of live webinars uh, on, on, you know, what I, what I teach, um, you'd be surprised how many teachers come just to learn for their, for their, their, their students in their classroom.
0: Yes, and it creates more calm and peace for them as well and for the kids that are in the classroom. So it's really a win-win for
1: everybody. It definitely is.
0: Um, So we've made such huge strides in ADHD awareness overall, but as we know, there's always changes and room for improvement. What would you like to see in the way society approaches ADHD in children?
1: You know, I bring it back to that food-first approach. And, uh, you know, I I bring it back to uh, rather than just suggesting medication uh, and I'm going to say that I would rather give, I would rather doctors give my book, Thriving with ADHD, you know, a guide to naturally reducing ADHD symptoms in your child. That's what they should be doing first, Mm -hmm. not handing over prescription medication. And so that's the biggest change. That I, that I would love to see in society these days for kids with ADHD because I have seen it time and time and time again. Kids with ADHD can thrive naturally. Medication should not be the first port of call.
0: Mm-hmm. And I will definitely link all of your resources, including the books and the show notes to make them easily accessible for our listeners. Thank you. And Donna, I love to ask this question, but a light bulb moment or a moment in your career, a pivotal moment, actually that could be personal because this is something mm-hmm. that's been so close to home for you, that you feel has really shaped your perspective and the work that you're doing.
1: I, I don't think for me that it's shaped my perspective, but it actually got me to wear it. I am today and mm-hmm. so uh I remember this one time uh it was a it was a Sunday uh it was pouring with rain in Seattle which it normally does and we were all climbing up the walls on top of each other you know my son had had multiple meltdowns and yeah. I was I was like I have to get out of the house so you know I grabbed him we got in the car and we went to Costco mm-hmm. and <laughs> as you do yes. <laughs> and you know my son wanted some wanted a snack before we paid for it and i said no no we haven't paid for it now this resulted in the biggest meltdown i have ever ever seen just picture two glass pasta sauce jars smashed oh, wow. all over the floor and him kicking and screaming in the pasta sauce and i was mortified mm-hmm. and I was looking around and all I could see was people diverting their gaze to avoid the embarrassment yes. you know I even overheard a mum a pregnant lady say to her friend oh, I'm never gonna let my my child uh, behave like that yes uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yep. <laughs> um and I felt this overwhelming emotion come over me and I lost it and I burst out crying and I'm, I was thinking to myself why me mm-hmm. why does my life have to be this way And that was the moment that got me where I am today. That was the moment where I said to myself, I have to figure out how to help my son in other ways. And it didn't matter what I had to do or how long it took me. I knew that I had to help him uh, and I wasn't going to get that information from the traditional approach. And so uh, I would say to families out there listening that if you are at that point where you know that you have to do something differently, There, there is hope. You do not need to suffer. Your child does not need to suffer. There is hope to help them thrive. And so use that emotion to go, okay, this is going to be the moment that changes our life.
0: Yes. And I always say, trust your instinct. If you feel mm-hmm. like something needs to be done and you're struggling day after day, then trust your instinct and go with that. Someone shouldn't tell you that it's fine and you'll be okay and someone Mm -hmm. will outgrow it because this is your life and this is what's impacting you every single day.
1: Every single day.
0: Um, Donna, where can our listeners find out more about you? I know we can have more conversations. I would love to invite you back.
1: But in the meanwhile,
0: where can they find you?
1: Um, yeah, they can find me at my website, which is ADHDthriveinstitute.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and other social pra- uh, platforms at adhdthriveinstitute. Thrive uh, My international best-selling book is available on Amazon, which is Thriving with ADHD, A Guide to Naturally Reducing ADHD Symptoms in Your Child.
0: Wonderful. And I will be sure to include all of those again in the show notes donna i want to thank you so much for being here to highlight how baby steps forward to understanding and managing adhd in children results in those sustainable long-term changes which i know families can really
1: appreciate
0: so thank you so much for being here
1: thank you for having me and
0: to the listeners thank you as always for tuning in until next time Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan neal We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.